Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello. Megan, we have an awesome show today. I'm so excited. Yeah, I know. And someone that you recommended for the show, too. I recommend everyone for the show. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But People call the, you know, uh, the, the backhanded compliment. That's right. Yeah. Folks call, you know, just so you know the process, folks, people call me all the time and they're like, you know, we'd love to be on the show. We think we make great guests and stuff like that. And, and I, I was like, no. you, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea who you have to go through first. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I just tell people, it's like, I'm in the green room. You got to talk to Megan. <laughs> right. That's how it works. But this one comes approved from Megan herself. For sure. So on the line with us right now is Perry Yateman. And she is the CEO of Perry Yateman Global Partners and external director, Mission Measurement, about how to measure the success of social impact programs. Hey, Perry, what's happening? Hey there, guys. How you doing? Perry, how does it feel to be Megan approved? <laughs> the bar is very high now. I'm getting nervous. Yeah. I hope I can deliver. Perry, thanks so much for being on the show. And, you know, it's interesting, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, that I did a survey on my site not too long ago, and measurement and around social impact programs is kind of one of the hottest topics that people want to learn about in 2018. And you are the gal to talk to about this. So Megan and I were hoping to start off by you telling us how you currently work with companies as it relates to social impact programs. How do you get involved in this and what do you do now? Well, you know, Joe, I spent um, decades on the other side of the table working at major corporations and running foundations for companies, including Kraft Foods. And so it doesn't surprise me that a lot of your listeners are interested in this subject because I got interested in it because I was struggling with it on the other side. Mm. Um, and so, and it was really interesting, you know, because the question was, okay, we're doing all these things and they, we think they're good, but, but how can we really prove it? How can we make a business case? How can we defend our choices and get more dollars for future investment? And so what was interesting is I kind of always approached it as a business person because my view was, you know, what, measure, what you measure gets done. And if you can't prove, quote unquote, that you've, you've made a difference, then you might as well just be throwing that money away. So. I got interested in it from that side of the table. Today, with mission measurement, it's interesting because that is the one thing we do. We basically are all about measuring social impact. Um, And when we think about that, we actually do it for companies, nonprofits, foundations, governments. So we kind of work with everybody. But what's really interesting about this is that uh, we do it in three different ways, in three different periods. We do it before the program. So we have predictive capabilities, what is going to work on the impact genome technology we've got, which I can talk about more. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yep, we work with companies during 
The process, so for example, we're actually, uh, the client I was talking to a couple hours ago, we are actually program managing all of their grant portfolio to try to coach these individual nonprofits to figure out how to deliver closer to what we have defined as the perfect program. And mm. then we also measure all the back end. So we can actually say, okay, we had a prediction up front based on um, our, our evidence, what should this program have delivered? And then we measure on the back end to say, and what did it actually deliver? And if there's a variance up or down, how do we explain that? So we actually do work across the spectrum of funders and program creators and deliverers. And we also work across all three time frames, pre, during, and post. Well, and I think it's important to distinct, to differentiate. You actually did two webinars for us not too, too long ago on social impact measurement, but you did two because there are really kind of two ways that you have to approach measurement. One is from the corporate side, right? And then one is from the cause side when you're talking about these types of programs. So um, maybe you could start out by talking us talking to us a little bit about how you approach measurement from the corporate perspective. Thank you for bringing that up, Megan. It's absolutely true. So for me, there are two types of outcomes that you really have to talk about every single time you want to make any kind of philanthropic investment. And from the business standpoint, it is the business outcomes. What is it that you are hoping is going to happen in society or for the recipient because you've been funny? And for a long time, as you know, companies never wanted to talk about that, right? They thought it yep. was to be aligned to the business. You shouldn't get a benefit out of this. This was just something you did because it was the quote unquote right thing to do. Right. See, I, don't, I don't believe in that. I think it is the right thing to do, but I don't believe in the idea that a company couldn't or shouldn't more closely align their charitable giving to their business agenda. And I think there's a lot of strategic ways to do that that simultaneously deliver very important business outcomes with very important social outcomes. And so I'll give, you, I'll give you an example when you're talking about a business outcome. You need to think about what is your business strategy? What are we most trying to do? And what could be delivered through social impact? So for example, um, when uh, people, a lot of uh, the tech companies we work with, everybody's aware we don't have enough STEM graduates, right? We don't have enough people that they can employ. And so one of the issues they're facing is how do we get more young people interested in STEM careers and then persisting in STEM careers. So there's an entire set of investments that we can talk about and use the impact genome to do predictive analytics on what is the right program in order to deliver a STEM outcome. Now, that doesn't guarantee that pick any in, you know, Intel or Microsoft or anybody, Google, it doesn't guarantee that if they do programming for high school or middle school kids, that those kids, STEM programming, are going to end up working there one day. But it does mean it increases the likelihood that there will be an availability of those professionals. And maybe they'll remember that Microsoft, Google, whoever actually funded that program, and they will be willing to look at that program. So just creating a pool of employees you could pick from is a positive social outcome, and it meets a business need. It helps increase the likelihood they can find the talent they want. But you could also do something, you know, you could also do something where uh, we have other clients, if they're, if they're not interested um, in STEM, their business objective might be, we want to improve employee engagement. You know, I, I sit on the, um, I'm vice chair of the Corporate Partnership Council for Save the Children. Mm. And one of the most common requests we get right now is actually about employee engagement. Yep. They want to know 
how can employees feel part of the work that they're doing uh, on behalf of children around the world or children in America? And so it's goal is that my point is a business needs to understand why are we doing this? Is it about more STEM graduates? Is it more about employee engagement? Is it about new product introductions? Is it about market entry? There's a ton of things that could benefit a business by doing but the number one thing is you got to be clear and it's got to be a business outcome. And you know what the big thing is, too, and I think you would agree with this, too, Perry, is it's something that can be measured, too, that there's a lot of things out there that people could kind of shoot for. But I think the question we oftentimes have to ask is like, OK, but how are you going to measure that? Like, what's the process by which we measure the success of something like that? And that's what I was going to ask about the employee engagement piece, Perry. I, you know, you see certain things about employee surveys in, in terms of employee engagement. Engagement. You know, we see this every year in the Halo Awards. What do you think the best way is to measure employee engagement in your experience since we're talking about that? I think it is one of those really difficult things, right? And there's, there's nothing in employee. So one of the things I think is important is that you need to understand sometimes your philanthropy can truly be um, a, like a massive part of the answer. And sometimes it is one of many inputs or, or activities that needs to happen to make the change. So when you think about employee engagement, the best philanthropy program in the world is not going to be able to make up for a bad boss mm-hmm. or a company to believe in or poor treatment because of something or a lack of a raise or whatever, right? So the truth is employee engagement is a multifactorial um, thing. However, you can, and what we tried to do, we happen to use the Gallup system, but there's lots of systems. Um, What we tried to do is to think of the questions that we could ask that were directly related to the work we were doing in, um, in the philanthropy and community engagement space. And so we knew that it wasn't the only thing driving engagement, but what we could do is figure out to what degree is it having any impact, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we could uh, how we could relate. So part of what I think has to happen is, you know, philanthropy leaders uh, inside companies and, and those who want to partner with them need to be thinking more broadly because they're not going to own most corporate strategic outcomes. In fact, there's almost none you could own. But you can be an important uh, participant in making that outcome happen. And so as long as you've got alignment, even if you don't have ownership, you can still be demonstrating good value. You know, it's interesting too, Perry, and Megan on the corporate partnership side, I read about recently about Stella Artois' relationship with Water.org. And what was interesting about that relationship and something that they measured, Perry, was Stella Artois, one of their goals, one of the results they wanted to see by doing cause marketing is that they would be less of an old person's brand. So instead of (laughs) appealing to people, yeah, Uh, instead of appealing to people, personal motto, I want to be less. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So instead of going after people over 45, they were getting people under 45. But you know what was amazing about the partnership is the tool that they used, uh, the, you know, what they used to measure that they showed that they had actually been successful on that, Perry. Uh, you know what I mean? So that really speaks to like, that's, it's like, hey, you had a really clear goal and you had a way of measuring whether or not that was going to be the case. And that really increased their satisfaction, uh, with the program to the extent that they actually advertised, uh, during the Super Bowl this year, which is a huge commitment on their part. Correct. And I think, you know, and that is the point, right? 
people used to say, well, there should be a relationship here, but now we're in a data-driven world. Everybody actually wants proof. And if you are looking at a consumer target like that, the great news is there's a ton of consumer of ways to measure consumer attitudes and behavior, et cetera. So if your cause marketing program is geared towards consumers, then I would say that's actually one of the easier ones um, to look at, particularly vis-a-vis a brand. Uh, mm-hmm. It gets more complicated when you're talking about some, and, and, you know, that one could be awareness. It could be, um, it could be interest. It could be, did they purchase? I mean, there's purchase intent. There's tons of ways you could look at that. It's harder when you're looking at a behavior change that isn't related to a single brand on a single issue. In an ideal world, businesses would start, you know, with an objective in mind and say, well, we're doing this campaign because we want to move the needle on X, like you just explained. But what about companies that are already in some sort of partnership and they did not necessarily start with a real strong business objective in mind? It was kind of like, oh, it'd be nice if some of these nice things happened, but they didn't design it around that. Is it is it impossible then to put in some measurement along the way? No. I, so I think we should we should separate the two things. I think it's absolutely possible to measure what is happening in that program, regardless of whether you had a clear business objective from the front. However, the program even brilliantly measured um, and demonstrated that it is the best in the world at driving X. If X is irrelevant to the company's strategic agenda, ultimately, that program should still be killed, honestly. Right. It should yep. be killed or it should be migrated. Like a lot of times, if you look at something, and I'll just take Save the Children because it's a big INGO. If you had one program with, with Save the Children and it had originally been planned to, let's call it, drive employee engagement. And now, for example, you wanted to reframe your brand the way you just used the example of, of Sellout Walk. And you said, okay, so I could still potentially make that happen with Save, but I can't make it happen with the program we've currently got running. So you could approach your current partner and try to develop a totally different program geared at the strategic business objective you've now agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, it would probably be, unless you were just lucky, it would probably be a totally different program than the one you are currently running that was kind of a, this one just feels good and everybody should do it. I think that's really important, Perry. And I hope everyone listening just heard what Perry said. She said, you should kill the program if there's no business objective, which I'm sure is probably very controversial in some nonprofit circles. But it, that's how important it is to have a business objective connected with these initiatives. Well, it is. Let's, okay, because you're right. I am sure that lots of people just winced and thought, oh, my God. But, <laughs> Perry's going to get her house egg tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I say to But to me, if you want something to be meaningful, if you want, like the biggest issue with between corporates and NGOs, one of the biggest issues is timing, right? Corporations operate on a quarterly basis and societal and behavior change takes time, right? Yeah. And so when you, when you think about something that's going to be big enough to make a difference and going to get investment quarter after quarter, year after year, possibly decade after decade, if it's not tied to the business objective, what I'm going to tell you is you're operating on borrowed time. Because if a new CEO, and if there is a, a bad quarter and they need to pull back on the money or whatever, you are at risk unless you have tied to that, tied that program to a strategic business need and you can prove that it's moving the needle. So all I'm saying is you can kill it or someone else may kill it, but the chances <laughs> of, of it scaling, 
of it achieving something meaningful over time is significantly reduced if it's not tied to the business. Well said. Yeah, no, very, I think that is extremely well said because goodwill will only get you so far. Exactly. And I will tell you, if listeners are, are looking for a great example of it, I would look at the Coco Life program currently by Mondelez International. It was originally under Kraft Foods back when I was at Kraft Foods. But that's like a multi-hundred million dollar investment over a long period of time in actually growing the next generation of cocoa farmers. And I could go through the whole case, but I actually wrote it up in um, Stanford Social Innovation Review. Your listeners can go find it. And there's lots of people believe they're still investing and talking about it. It's a great program, but that's one where literally billions of dollars of revenue for the company are tied to chocolate. Just think Oreos or yep. think Cadbury. And (laughs) only grow in a few markets and that it is declining, right? That makes growth in a chocolate business untenable. So it is strategic imperative that that we change life in those villages for the people who are growing cocoa. And it's a very clear linkage if you actually think about it that way. But for decades, nobody did think about it that way. And once we did, then we, that's how we want the business case with the chocolate category to get hundreds of millions of dollars to invest because they could see this as a mission critical need. Love it. All right, Joe, now you can talk about the cause side. Sorry. Sorry. I yeah, you know, <laughs> no, very good questions, though. And I, you know, I love how we're kind of positioning this too. talking about the corporate side first. Now tell us about the nonprofit side, Perry. Well, I think for nonprofits, it's really it's really tough, right? Um And it's tough for a lot of reasons. And that's actually one of the reasons that I feel so positive about the work that we've been doing at Mission Measurement, you know, because with this predictive capability, with this evidence base, which is outcome focused, it is transparent, you can actually compare an apple to an apple, there are going to be NGOs that are using this system that can now demonstrate prior to getting the investment from a funder, from a company, from a government, prove that their program based on the metadata is the most likely to deliver that outcome at a reasonable cost per outcome. And so that just completely changes the game because before, I mean, there was, there have been lots of ways that NGOs have gone about it, but there've been two issues. One, let's be honest. It's not just businesses that have been reluctant to kind of try to, I'll use a really controversial term, commercialize their relationship with uh, NGOs, but vice versa, NGOs have not wanted to get in bed with business. And in some ways, I completely support that. I mean, we've got to maintain transparency, integrity on both sides. And it cannot be a a greenwashing campaign where the company pays the money and the NGO tells everybody they did a great job. No, it needs to be real work done in partnership where the NGO can really sit down. And one of the things that, that I've been working on for, for five years now with, with, again, I'll just say Save the Children because that's who I'm working with, is how do you have a business conversation with a business team, right? Because if, if on the NGO side, they can't understand the business at all. And, and let's be honest, a lot of NGOs can't and don't even want to, but it makes it much harder to connect in a way that's going to help you get the funding that you need. So I think for NGOs, it's about understanding what matters in a business, being educated enough. I'm not talking about getting an MBA. I'm talking about educated enough 
in that particular industry or company to have a business conversation, to be talking in outcomes, not just outputs. And the difference there, I think, is when you think about an outcome, it is a change in status. So it's either thinking, feeling, or doing something different. Not that you showed up 12 times to training, right? So, and, and what normally happened is you get paid if you put on training and everybody just kind of said, oh, that's great training. And you got lots of people to show up. Then you got the check. But the truth is that training might have been off message or it might have just been flat out bad. And it doesn't drive for outcome, which going back to my STEM example, it might have been about delivering an outcome of STEM awareness, right? Now, if it doesn't that, it doesn't matter that anything else happened because it didn't actually drive towards the outcome. So I think for NGOs, it's about having a business conversation first, understanding why that partner would want to work with you, and then being able to put together an evidence-based program that can say, here is what we can make happen for this group of beneficiaries, and here is how we can demonstrate that that outcome is achieved. And here's how we show you that we do it in a most cost-effective manner based on cost for outcome. Perry, do you think, you know, one of the challenges in someone like me, you know, you've worked on the corporate side your, your entire life. I've worked on the nonprofit side my entire life. And the biggest thing that I found with nonprofits when it comes to this type of reporting and understanding outcomes and results and stuff is that it's too anecdotal on their end, and they're not serious about really collecting the numbers about how effective they are. Uh, you know, so a lot of times it devolves into storytelling, you know what I mean? Well, you know, we have this example, and it could be both on the business side and it could be on the social side. You know, on the one side, it can be, hey, here's Jim. He's not on the street anymore, right? He's, you know, he's got a place to live and he's got food to eat. And then on the business side, well, I was in talking to Sherry at register number five at your Boston store and she said she loved this program and it was great you know and anecdotal things like that are great but you need more than that and a lot of nonprofits don't approach it that way I would agree I think one of the things that that happens is first of all they aren't thinking about it up front right and so they don't set the metrics from the beginning I think the other thing is that it is a lot of qualitative measures uh, versus quantitative measures and and one of the reasons for that you know, if you think about any other industry, we don't ask the people doing the work to grade themselves, right? If we just told teachers, okay, you tell us how you did. If we just told our financial <laughs> advisor, you just tell me how you did, right? And like, there's nowhere else in the world where you get paid. That's an excellent point. For, for, right, for, for how I did it, right? Here's, here, the dog ate my homework or not, and here's the report to prove it, right? That's, that's not helpful. And the other thing is, and so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of picking on NGOs. But on the other hand, the problem with corporations is every one of them wants their own damn report in their own writing, right? Yep. And you're like, yep. okay, also not helpful. So what we really need to do is standardize our approach to outcomes, to measurement, to benchmarks, because if we could get benchmarks, then we could, we would understand what is really going on. And that's, you know, so Mission Measurement recently introduced a partnership with GuideStar, and they also introduced a partnership. Um, all state and a bunch of other leading corporations have kind of all banded together and said, we're going to measure every single one of our programs against using the impact genome approach. And we're going to do it, not on our programs to get better, but because we're going to get every one of our NGO partners to do the same 
So now we can actually compare apples to apples. What's happening? How do we really know that? And what's working and not? And the idea is not to penalize any one NGO. The idea is actually to figure out collectively what programs deliver the best value and then to get funding funneled to those programs as opposed to regardless of who's running them, all the other programs that aren't working. So can you can, can you just explain, Perry, because I, I, I know that I'm a little bit familiar with it, but I'm sure our listeners may not be. Can you talk about what the impact genome actually is and does? I think last time you and I talked, it was still kind of in beta stages or whatever. It sounds like it's evolved quite a bit since, since last you and I had a conversation. So can you just give us the lowdown on what that is and what it does for, for folks as you're referring to? Yeah, so let me, um, so one of the things about it is it's useful, again, across the spectrum, both funders and implementers can use it for their benefits. But in essence, what it does is it's just a few steps. I mean, it's really complicated, but it's a few steps if you, if you think about it from a step perspective. So the first is about standardizing outcomes because one of us defines an outcome in different ways. And so I'll go back to my example. So if you looked at the 13,000 programs across America that are currently funded to do something in the STEM space, you would probably find, let's see, if there's 13,000 programs, you'd probably find 11,000 different outcomes, right? But when we really looked at all, I'm making these numbers up, obviously, 11,000 of these outcomes and deduped them and took them apart and said, well, that's not really an outcome, et cetera, it really came down to actually, there are only four outcomes for STEM, only four. And it's STEM awareness, STEM interest, STEM proficiency, and STEM persistence. So the first part of the genome project was to codify and standardize outcomes so that you could get them down to a measurable amount. And, and, and the system actually got it down to something like 135, right? So from thousands and thousands and thousands, we're now talking about a world of in the hundreds of outcomes, right? So now you've got a starting base where if every program that's funded is tied to one of those hundreds of outcomes, not thousands and thousands, now you've got some comparability. You can, you can start getting a massive program against the same outcome. So you have something to compare. So that's step one. Step two is we then take apart. Now you can say, okay, of the 11,000 funded programs, let's say 5,000 of them were really primarily geared towards STEM awareness, not interest, proficiency, persistence. It might have touched on those, but they were really geared towards awareness. Then you can break those programs down and say, what are the elements of those programs? The, the, the project calls them genes, but it doesn't matter what you call them. It's about what are those individual components? And so you study, you know, who is the beneficiary? What, what was the dosage? What was the, you know, the frequency, the time frame? Was it delivered in school, out of school? Did it have hands-on activities? There's tons of unique features of every program that can be codified into a system, they can be tagged so that you can say, okay, how many of these programs had hands-on activities delivered in a school five days a week, right? And you can do that. And you can look at it for all of them geared towards fifth grade girls, right? Now you've got an entire set of data against a common outcome that you can review and you can see from what's already been done, what is working, what's not working, right? That then, if you get enough of it, using meta-analysis and everything else, you get enough of it, you can then create some predictions 
on what works best, what will work with that type of beneficiary in that type of setting for that type of outcome. And then on the back end, as I said, because we measure the back end, we will give a program a scorecard that says, here's how you're doing. Here's what you are delivering in terms of outcomes, cost per outcomes, reach, how many people, et cetera. And then we will also be able to say, and how does that compare to other programs targeted with the same beneficiary in the same outcome group? Are you better? Are you worse? And if you're better, great. What are you doing that's working so well? And if you're worse, what is happening in the other programs that are scoring higher that you don't currently have in your program model, right? Because the beauty of the program model is one of the few things that you don't fight about and subjectivize, right? You either have hands-on activities or you don't. It either happens at the school or it doesn't. It either has a teacher or it doesn't. The parent is either there or not. So it's doing all of those things that then let us create this fulsome look where it's transparent, it's comparable because you can actually look at apples to apples, uh, it can be both predictive and after the fact. And the whole idea is that for a funder, they can say, I want to know who's doing the best work on STEM awareness for fifth grade girls in urban settings. And you can pull that out of the system and say, this is the, this is the type of program that's really working the best for them. And here's the cost per outcome per person. And then on the other side, if you are the NGO, and you're not sure whether your program is optimal, you can run, you can put the, the parts of your program into the system and it will come out and tell you based on the way you plan to execute this program, here is our estimate of what is likely to happen because of that. And that puts you in the middle of the pack, at the top of the pack, below the pack, both in terms of outcomes, efficiency, and effectiveness, cost per outcome. So it's both, it's a tool for each side to use and the whole idea is create transparency and comparability, eliminate waste for what's not working. Don't fund it and don't spend an NGO's time doing it. I love it. It's the future. It's the future. Yeah, it really is. It really is. The The challenge, though, Megan and Perry, though, is that you have one area, that STEM. I mean, think about all the other areas you need to cover in order to... They do lots of other stuff. That's just one example, right, Perry? Yes, absolutely. We actually are looking at the entire fear of social impact. So we are looking at health, we are looking at environment, we're looking at social justice, we got all of it. Now, let's be clear. As you said, Meg, we've made a lot of progress in the past two, three years since last you and I really dove into this. But it, this is a system that will take decades to build. Yeah, that's a big job. No, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's huge. So it, it is. that's why we, we, we took an audacious name and we went, we went big. The Impact Genome Project, it's a big idea. It's taking a lot of funders. It's taking a lot of commitment and a lot of time. But conceptually, I feel really great about the way it's going because I think this is the future. You know, it's going to be bumpy to get there, but we've got to get to a place where we stop wasting time and money on things that don't work and where we pay and, and channel our funding and effort into things that we can, from a third party, not just evaluated by the NGO or the company from a third party can figure out it's actually driving the outcome society most needs. Perry, this is so awesome. We could listen to you talk all day long. I know. I, ha I have like, you know how you know you have a good guest is you have like a thousand more questions after they're done. <laughs> we'll just have to have her on again in the future. Yeah, we're just going to have to bring you back, Perry. <laughs> well, I would, I would love to. This is, 
This is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. And I feel so strongly. Perry is a passionate person, which is why I wanted to have her on the podcast because she's amazing. So phenomenal. Perry, if people want to learn more about you, how might they do that online or Mission Measurement or your other Perry Yateman Global Enterprises? How might they do that? So uh, for me, the easiest thing is just Google my name and you can pick the way to communicate with me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn, etc. Um, in terms of Mission Measurement, it's just www.missionmeasurement.com. Um, and I think that would be a good start. Amazing. We will add that to the show notes. Joe, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me minute to minute on Twitter at Joe Waters. Make sure to visit SelfishGiving.com. Sign up for that newsletter that goes out every Wednesday morning with all sorts of cause news, insights, tips, and facts for you. And also check out all those pins on Pinterest. Uh, Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? What about where can people find you? I am also on Twitter at Megan Strand and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com as well as selfishgiving.com. And then we'll also link to those two webinars that Perry did for Engage for Good. Um, I think they are evergreen. There's lots of great information there. So if you could not get enough of Perry, make sure you check out those show notes and we'll we'll link to those webinars and you can get you can do a deep dive either on the corporate side or the uh, the cause side with those two great webinars. And while you're online, be be sure to subscribe to Cause Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And on behalf of Perry and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio. And we'll talk to you next time. 